Good morning. Thank you for being here. In, in a few minutes, we'll talk about what you just saw. But before we do that, uh, would love for all of us as a body to have a few things in mind and in prayer in the coming days. Um, this week, I was reminded as I sat next to our first grader as he began school on Zoom uh, at our kitchen table that we need to be in prayer for our students, our teachers, teacher assistants, administrators, everybody who's connected to uh, our school system. And uh, I was reminded of, the, reminded of this very specifically when on the second day of class, the teacher said, okay, we're going to do an activity. Uh, we're going to do show and tell. Each person is going to have 30 seconds to share. And this little boy in Lincoln, our son's class, uh, he raised his hand to go. The teacher called on him. She said, you have 30 seconds. He said, okay, I can count to 1,000. Watch. One, two. Three, and then he stopped looking at the screen, and, and any effort she made to try to get his attention was gone. And I was like, Lincoln, this kid is locked on a thousand, and he is not stopping. So she muted him, and you can just see him counting. He's like, five, six, seven. So I don't even know if he uh, made it back to school that day. He just kind of was counting. Um, and then later on, there was a, she gave all the kids an activity to do, and she said, are there any questions? And one, one little boy said, yeah, uh, do we have to do this? And, and the teacher very graciously said, you, you get to do this. He said, yeah, but do we have to do this? And she said, you get to do this, yes. So keep our teachers, students, administrators, everybody connected to the schools in mind. But also uh, our, our firefighters. I'm reminded are very literally uh, on, a front, on the front line as are our hospital workers, nurses, doctors, as are our police officers as well. And, and as I think about all the things going on, from wildfires to hurricanes to social unrest, uh, there's a lot that's going on. And, and that leads to the third thing I'd like for us to pray for. It's really, very literally, every single person in our nation. Because a lot of what's going on right now, as I look at it, I just think that there is so much when it comes to human dignity that has been thrown up in the air. And we have the comfort and the peace and the reminder that Jesus purchased human dignity at the cross, regardless of what we see going on around us. And that's why we can have peace that surpasses understanding. And so with all that said, will you pray with me uh, for those things? And then we'll, we'll hop in. Heavenly Father. We come before you, before we start uh, this series of, of messages and, and looking at your word, and we're reminded that there, uh, 2020, there's been a lot going on, but specifically right now, there are a lot of things going on. And so we lift up, we lift up our, our school year to you, uh, our kids, students, uh, teachers, administrators, parents. Uh, we know that nobody gets through a school year without you. Uh, whether they realize it or not. We lift up our, uh, our civil servants, public servants that are on the front lines, fighting fires, dealing with hurricanes, dealing with social unrest. And, and we also lift up to you every single person in this nation because everybody's got an opinion about every single thing. And yet we're reminded that uh, those are opinions and that ultimately it wasn't an opinion you had of us. It's something you did for us at the cross. And so keep us there. Keep us coming back to there. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's talk about Doug. Doug the dog. How many of you have seen Up? 
Okay, so Doug the dog, as I look at him, I think of another dog, and I actually think of, it's our dog. It's Max. This is a picture of Max. He is, uh, yep, he is starting to mellow out. He's getting, uh, he's no, no longer a puppy. But Max, um, you know, dogs are motivated by different things. And uh, so it just depends on what you motivate them with. Max happens to be a food-motivated dog, like more than other dogs I've seen. And so it, it doesn't matter. He hears, he hears something opening, and he's coming. And it doesn't matter if the door's shut. Uh, he's coming. He's coming through it. And there is one thing, as I think about it, there is one thing that can take Max away. He can take his attention away from food. I mean, I could hold a steak in front of his face, and there's one thing that would get his attention. You know what it is? It's a squirrel. It's a squirrel. And, and I've noticed it's, that's the case with our neighbor's dogs, too, who aren't as food-motivated. But a squirrel will get their attention. In fact, dogs forget they are dogs when a squirrel is around. Because I've seen our dog actually run for the fence, able to grab the top of the fence and get his hind paws up on the fence because he thinks he's a bird or he thinks he can climb a tree. But dogs will do anything to get to a squirrel. And the reason I bring all that up is because it takes one to know one, doesn't it? Yeah, see, we recognize that in a dog. We recognize that in other people because ultimately we're experts in it ourselves. That is, each and every single one of us was wired for something. We've talked about that over the last four weeks, that before you began, God put some things inside of you and inside of me that tell us about ourselves. But we all have squirrels in our lives that can take our attention and they can, they can, take, us, uh, they can take us in all kinds of different directions. And we can run and run and run. And when we come back, it's like we've got to relearn all over again. I I mean, if you continue watching that movie, it it takes the dog some time to get back to who he is. But with all that said, I want to point you to something that Paul said. Paul wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. And Paul, this man named Paul, wrote this letter to the church at Rome. And here's what Paul has to say about just human nature. Listen to what he says. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Excuse me, right in the middle of it. He says, what may be known about God is plain to them. That is human beings. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. That's interesting. See, we tend to think, oh, if I want to know about God, I've got I've to go get a degree, a, like higher education. And Paul says, no, all you got to do is walk outside. All you have to do is look in the mirror. All you have to do is look at the person in front of you. All you have to do is look around this room. Because why? Because God has made who he is clear. See, the last four weeks, we've talked about things that are part of our identity You know, we needed maybe four weeks to talk about that. But God says, if you want to know about me, you look at my work and you look at my word. You look around at creation and then you look at the word I've given you. And you will know exactly who I am. But Paul ends that passage, and we'll get back to the beginning of it in a moment here. He ends it with saying, so that people are without excuse. In other words, God has seen to it that nobody would look around and go, well, I just didn't know. I just didn't know you were there. God says, no, I made it plain. I've made it so clear about who I am. But human nature being what it is, we do something. In fact, Paul points it out as he continues. Verse 21, 
He says, for although they knew God, they, never, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. If you were to ask what the purpose of your life was, you could sum it up right here. To bring him glory and give him thanks. And if you could spend your life doing that, you would be living in the purpose God created and intended you for. But Paul goes on. He says, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And look at this word, in exchanged the glory of, of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human, a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. See, Paul understands human nature because Paul has lived on that side of everything. He said, you know what human beings do? They trade the glory of God for their own glory. And as a result, they have trouble seeing themselves. Human beings will trade the glory of God for the glory of human beings. It's something that's been going on. It's not just a 2020 thing. This is for all time thing. One of the more influential artists that you've likely heard of sometime in your life is a man named Vincent Van Gogh. And Vincent Van Gogh was actually one of the most prolific artists that the world has ever known. In his lifetime, and he lived to be 37 years old, in his lifetime, he produced over 900 paintings. Now, of those 900 paintings, it's really interesting to look at how they were received. But to understand the magnitude of, of that, you got to understand the time in which Vincent Van Gogh lived. Because Vincent Van Gogh lived in a time that came on the heels of an age we, we refer to as the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a time in history when human beings basically looked in the mirror and they said, we get it now. You know, the, the, all the ages before this were the Dark Ages, but we get it now. We're enlightened. We see things clearly. And on the heels of the Enlightenment, Vincent Van Gogh was born. And it's very interesting, this man who's produced these incredible works, works that today we are just in awe of. In fact, his highest selling painting sold in 1990 here in the United States for $149 million. Do you know how many paintings he sold while he was alive? One. One painting sold in Belgium for 400 francs. At the time, it would have been about 450 US dollars. Because people looked at his work and they just went, eh, that's nothing. Now that's Vincent Van Gogh. Paul says, you know what we do? We'll look at God's work that tells us so much about who he is. And you know what we do? We exchange that glory. We say, ah, I want something that glorifies me. And so Paul, as he's giving us this passage, we have to understand that he's giving it in the context as beautiful uh, as, it, as what it tells us about God and his nature and his identity. He's giving it to us in the context of the wrath of God. At the beginning of the verse, before, before what we read, he said, the wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and all the wickedness of mankind, of human beings. Because with their wickedness and with their godlessness, you know what he says human beings do? They suppress the truth. That is, when human beings make the decision to trade God's glory for human glory, we suppress the truth. And we lose sight of who God is. In fact, it, it has some ramifications. You know, I always tend to think of the wrath of God as like this big, global, destructive event. And it could be that. 
But Paul says, no, there's, there's something else that happens though. The wrath of this loving God, it may be something where he just lets us go the path that we wanna go and that we've chosen to go. Here's what he says in verse 24. Therefore God, look at this phrase that keeps showing up, gave them over in the sin, sinful desires of their hearts. A couple of verses later. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. A couple of verses later. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. It's possible that God might just give people over to do what depraved thinking would do and to make decisions out of a depraved state of being. Perhaps that's the wrath of God because that's what human beings have always done. We've traded his glory for ours. And anytime you trade God's glory, you know what happens? You lose sight of who you are. You lose sight of who you really are. Did you notice in the, in the video when the dog started talking, one of the first things that came out of his mouth, I love you. Because God, as we've talked about the last four weeks, one of the things he put inside of us was to love one another, to love him and love one another. And then the dog, Doug, the dog starts talking about his master. He says he's a good master and he's a loving master. And then all it took was a squirrel. And honestly, for you and me, all it takes, and we're not just talking about master, we're talking about our Lord, our heavenly father, who put within us love and who put within us a desire to know him. And all it takes is a squirrel to take our attention, doesn't it? And you sit there and you think, who would make this trade? And when you read what Paul's talking about, who would trade the glory of God for depraved thinking and depraved living? Who would do that? And the truth is, we all would. Because Paul, as he writes all this in Romans 1, he says, he uses these words, they and them. And when we read they and them, we think it's an issue for everybody out there, everybody else. But you know what Paul does in Romans chapter 2? He moves from using they and them to this word that hurts, you. He looks at you and me and he says, yeah, that, that trading of God's glory, that's something you've done. That's something I've done. And so over the, over the coming weeks, we're going to talk about six squirrels. Six squirrels in all of our lives, and it's not an exhaustive list. It's not a complete list. But we're going to look at six places where God's word, it's got something to say about the squirrels that steal God's glory and, and our gratitude to God. I'll give you just an, an overview of those real quickly. One is one that we can all recognize, success and failure. Don't we all? I mean, we say, oh yeah, Jesus, I love what you did for me at the cross, but the measuring stick for our lives, oftentimes, don't we look at our successes and our failures? Years ago, Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, Michael Jordan did an interview with Sports Illustrated, and they asked him, what are you doing now? Now that you're post-basketball, at least post-playing basketball, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your time? And he paused and he sighed. You know what he said? He said, you know, I think fondly of hoisting championship trophies. And I think fondly of MVPs. And I, I, every single day that I can't still be out there, there's something empty inside of me. And I thought, wow. 
I mean, here's somebody who will probably accomplish more in terms of worldly success than anybody I know. And yet he's walking around with this empty spot because somehow that glory of God somewhere at some level got shifted and he was measuring himself based on his own glory. So successes and failures. There's also other people. I mean, this is what social media figured out. They figured out this very human element in all of us that we all have this tendency. God says, look here. And we tend to look here, don't we? And we care so much about what everybody else has, has to say or what other people do. And we'll open up social media. It what may not even be an actual picture because it's been so heavily filtered or a story that's been so heavily edited. And we'll compare ourselves. And we'll get caught up in what other people say and what other people think of us. Success and failure, other people. We also have our, <clears throat> excuse me, our possessions. If you were here a few weeks ago, I talked about a man whose funeral I did. And as I talked to the family about this service that we were going to do, they wanted this quote that they said he lived by, both in the, in the uh, program for the service and possibly on his headstone. And his quote was, the difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. To which I said, let's not put that in the program. And, and let's certainly maybe consider whether that goes on a headstone. And as much as I uh, didn't want to see them do that, I think, I think he got it. He got human nature is what he got. He truly, honestly saw that there's something in all of us. There's a thin line between, between using our possessions for something versus our possessions using us and having a hold on us. There's our work, right? How often are we looking to make a name for ourselves through our work? One of the earliest things God gave human beings to do was work. And before sin entered the picture, that work was filled with joy. After the fall of humanity, it became difficult. But work, often what it does is it can just expand to a much larger piece of the pie than God ever intended for it to have. And as a result, it affects our relationship with God and with other people. There's our background. Our background is that thing in us that says, I'm going to do things the way I've always done them. And this is the thing that as you look throughout scripture, God is shifting human beings from doing things the way human beings always thought things should be done. This is oftentimes what Jesus came up against in the Pharisees. Have you ever mowed a lawn the exact same pattern every single week? What happens? You get ruts. You get ruts in the lawn. See, it takes a very intentional decision to change the direction and start doing things a little bit differently. And it's better. It's better for the ground. Sorry, that's, that's mowing experience in my own life. So that's, that's what I had for you there. But there's also, there's our circumstances. We want to be the controllers and masters of our own circumstances, don't we? And if there's anything 2020 has taught us, it is that we are in far less control than we ever thought we were. I mean, you look around and every single thing reminds us that there's one who's sovereign and it's not us. It's the one who put us here. And that's what I love about scripture is you walk through scripture, God's people, they're exiled, they're in captivity, they're oppressed, they're persecuted. And as I read all that, and then I look at 2020, I sit here and I go, I, I think he's given us 
the manual for walking through what we're walking through. And the thing is, he didn't just give us a manual and walk away. He said, I'm going to give you my presence. You're going to have the very presence of God as you walk through what you're walking through in the word of God. So you look at all these areas and you think, well, I mean, those are good areas. God can use those. And yeah, he certainly can. In fact, that's what God intends to do. And that's what God wants to do. But how do you know? How do you know when one or more of those areas has become a squirrel that has taken our focus away from the glory of God and gratitude to God? You know these areas have become a squirrel. Excuse me. You know these have become a squirrel anytime you look in the mirror and recognize that it's being used to trade the love we already have for the love we think we want. See, when you look at those areas, a lot of times we're hoping it's going to give us something. And over and over and over, you know what Paul's reminder is and scripture's reminder is? Is you already have. You already have all you need. You already have all you could want. You may just not see it. Because when we trade that glory, we don't see accurately. And this is what I love about Paul, especially in Rome's in Rome, because he moves from they language to you language to six chapters after this. In Romans 7, he moves to I. You think, wow, Paul? I mean, Paul we hold up as like this pinnacle of faith. And Paul says, yeah, I, even I. In Romans chapter 7, Paul starts talking about the things I do, I don't really want to do those. The things my body goes after, the things my body wants to do, those are things in my heart I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, those are things that I do. And, and Paul, you can hear the conflict inside. The thing about Paul when he's writing this, he's not a brand new Christian. It's believed that he wrote Romans around 25 years after he began following Jesus. A Christian for 25 years. And he says, yeah, I, I still battle this. And here's where he lands after those statements. Romans 7, verse 22. He says, In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me. Not will, who does. Who delivers me. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, the last four weeks as we've talked about who you are before you began, and today as we talk about who God is, even when we get squirrels that come into our lives, the thing you gotta know that tells you so much about who God is and so much about who you are is that your identity was not secured by any squirrel running around your life. Your identity and God's identity is most fully expressed right there at the cross. Because it's at the cross, he said, you no longer need anything. There's nothing your success can do to make you any more loved. There's nothing other people can do. There's nothing that your possessions, your work, your background, your circumstances. I've delivered you. You have all you need because of who I am. And so in the coming weeks, we want you to join us because all of us have squirrels in our lives. They want to take our attention 
And as we walk forward through these next six weeks, as we look at these different squirrels, I want you to just keep three things in mind. Number one, squirrels will, they'll grow. They'll grow. And if you feed them the right or wrong thing, you know what they turn into? Lions. Squirrels become lions. And parents, I know you're going to have to explain that, that to your kids later. But that, that furry little animal in our lives that we've maybe never paid much attention to, you know what can happen? It can grow. If we feed it based on what we want from it for our glory, it grows. And it grows a mane and those teeth get sharper and it gets more muscular and that bushy tail becomes a whip. And you know what happens? It's no longer satisfied with acorns. You know what it wants to eat? You and me. That's what squirrels will do. And so that ties to this next statement that every single area of our life, every single area, the six we listed and more, it's an opportunity to either live for our glory or from God's grace. See, living for keeps me always looking for more. But living from says, no, I have all I need from the grace God showed me at the cross. Third, third, living for our glory. You know what it leads to? Replacement. You're always looking, especially in those six areas, we're always looking to those areas and saying, how do I replace what what has happened in that area? I want to replace it. I want something bigger. I want more. And we're never content or satisfied. But living from God's grace, you know what that leads to? Resting in redemption. There's a major difference in going to work, looking for our glory, always trying to replace it, and going to work, living from his grace and his redemption. And so I would ask you to write that down, take a picture of it, keep it in mind as we walk through these squirrels that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. I'm going to invite the worship team back out. Will you pray with me? And then we'll close with one more song. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are just reminded over and over and over again that it's at the cross The cross is the epicenter of so much of identity. In fact, all of our identity and all of your identity. We learn everything we need to know at that spot. And so as we look around at the different areas of life that can move from an instrument you use to a squirrel that can steal our focus, give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see your glory and to give you the gratitude that you deserve and to remind us that everything about us was purchased at the cross because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. I pray for anybody sitting here or watching right now who's been teetering on the verge of trusting, not in their own accomplishments, not in their own, any of the squirrels of life, but if they've been teetering with the decision to trust in what Jesus did on their behalf, I pray that you will bring about that conversation, whether it's someone here at the church someone in their home, someone in their workplace. Lord, give them strength to step forward and speak up and talk about it. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.